Welcome to The Reference Desk, a podcast where two librarians take you down the rabbit hole of the topics that have bewitched us. So adjust the chain on your reading glasses, button up your favorite cardigan, and follow us punk-ass book jockeys through the stacks to The Reference Desk. Welcome to The Reference Desk, a podcast where two librarians take you down the rabbit hole of the topics that have bewitched us. So adjust the chain on your reading glasses, button up your favorite cardigan, and follow us punk-ass book jockeys through the stacks to The Reference Desk. Hi there. Welcome to this special bonus episode of The Reference Desk. I hope you all enjoyed the nostalgia trip in our Miss Cleo and the Psychic Readers Network episode as much as I did. Miss Cleo's magnetic personality, whether real or the work of a gifted actor, inspired hundreds of thousands of people to call into the psychic hotline for help. Many of those callers were defrauded and left with massive phone bills. But Miss Cleo is far from the only psychic fraud of this time period, and she was certainly not the most harmful. Our story begins in April of 2003, when 16-year-old Amanda Berry called her sister to let her know she was on her way home from her shift at the local Burger King. But Amanda never made it home. When the Berries reported their missing daughter to local police, they were told that Amanda had probably run away, despite her family's protests that she was a happy girl who had never expressed a desire to leave their home. A week later, Amanda's mom's phone rang, and the caller ID showed it was Amanda's cell phone. I cannot imagine the joy and hope that burst out of that mom's chest when she saw that familiar number. But when she answered, a strange man's voice said, I have Amanda. She's fine and will be coming home in a couple of days. So this was not the call that Amanda's mom was hoping for when she saw that number come up on her caller ID. But at least it gave her hope that her daughter was still alive and might come home. But days turned into weeks, which turned into months. Her disappearance was featured on a 2004 episode of Fox's America's Most Wanted, another nostalgic throwback, alongside 14-year-old Gina de Jesus, who had also disappeared in Cleveland while walking home a year later. Their similar stories led many to believe that the same person might be behind their disappearances, and the girls' stories quickly became daytime talk show fodder. Amanda's mother, Luana Miller, was invited to the Montel Williams show to meet with the show's resident psychic, Sylvia Brown. When Luana asked Sylvia if she would ever see her daughter again, the psychic responded, Yeah, in heaven, on the other side. Luana was devastated, and within a year, she had died after being hospitalized with pancreatitis. Her family and friends say that her will to live had been shredded by Sylvia Brown. So who was this woman who had the power to destroy a mother's hope in just a few words? Let me introduce you to the psychic Sylvia Brown. Sylvia Shoemaker was born in 1936 to William Lee and Celeste Shoemaker. She grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, where her father bounced from mail carrier to jewelry sales to vice president of a major freight line. At the age of three, Sylvia began having what she called visions. Her grandmother, a psychic medium, took Sylvia under her wing and worked with her to interpret what she was experiencing. The gift seemed to run in the family. A great uncle was also a psychic medium. As she grew up, Sylvia's gifts were shared with friends and family members, and she gained a reputation locally for helping people see their futures. 
According to her, she earned a graduate degree in English and worked for nearly two decades as a teacher at a Catholic school. In the meantime, she continued her training in the paranormal, specializing in hypnotism and trance mediumship. When she was 28, Sylvia moved to California and set up shop as a full-time psychic. According to her website, Sylvia conducted her work, quote, via hypnosis and through information obtained via Sylvia's deep trance channeling ability. She founded the Nirvana Foundation for Psychic Research in 1974 as a nonprofit organization. Today, that organization is known as the Sylvia Brown Corporation. In 1986, she formed a Gnostic Christian church called the Society of Novus Spiritus in Campbell, California. She called this decision her, quote, monument to God, a forum to express the joy and love that is God, with no fear, no guilt, no sin, no hell, and no Satan. Sylvia encouraged her followers to engage with God through spirit guides or angels. She herself claimed to have a spirit guide named Francine. According to Sylvia, most earthbound spirits appeared to her as, quote, real as a living person like a faint voice on a very bad phone connection. And visiting spirits were, quote, much less clear, a filmy look, semi-transparent, and almost no voice presence. Francine, she claimed, was a visiting guide who trained for a long time to enable verbal interaction. But even with that, she said, Francine sounds like a high-pitched, fast-talking chipmunk. Like so many spiritual leaders, Sylvia's actual credentials, if any, were wrapped in misty words like spiritual teacher, prophetic ability, and gifts. Sylvia helped clients privately for many years, charging a $30 donation fee for her services. Friends who knew Sylvia in the 1970s recall her being folksy and warm. Her predictions were largely banal. What kind of house someone should buy, what their love life might hold, that kind of thing. She was undoubtedly driven and marketed herself to bigger and the most influential crowds and clients. Her first TV appearance was in 1979 on an episode of In Search Of, where she tried contacting spirits in a haunted house. Sylvia skyrocketed to psychic stardom when she began appearing on radio and television programs in the 1990s. It was that era of shock-value daytime television with talk shows that revealed lie detector and paternity tests on air, soap operas that featured characters repeatedly dying and then returning to life, and previews of the horror stories awaiting you on the 6 o'clock news. Sylvia Brown melted right into that fabric. It wasn't long before she was a regular guest on Larry King Live, That's Incredible, and The Montel Williams Show. She was known for her matter-of-fact delivery, whether delivering messages of love from the dead or making predictions of bleak futures. She did several television specials of her own, fielding questions and conducting readings for eager audience members. On one show, she told a man who was having issues with his landlord to cut his losses and move. She told a woman to stay with a boyfriend she was considering leaving and that she would have twins but her predictions and visions went beyond entertainment. She claimed to have helped police departments find murder suspects and missing victims. When missing government intern Chandra Levy was found dead in Rock Creek Park in Washington, 
Sylvia was quick to remind everyone that she had predicted the woman's remains would surface in that area. Her skeptics were even quicker to point out that given that law enforcement officials had been searching the site since her disappearance, it didn't take a psychic to predict that outcome. She also claimed to have helped police with the Ted Bundy cases and assisted with the investigation into the 1993 World Trade Center bombings. In one interview with Larry King, she told him she had 250 law enforcement cases currently in her queue. It was hard to verify her claims back then without the internet, but if the police were using her services, they were certainly staying quiet about it. There were other reasons to be skeptical of her abilities. Her predictions were often so vague in nature that it was impossible to substantiate them later down the line. And those that were followed up were often wrong. Her case for trustworthiness wasn't helped when, in 1992, Sylvia and her husband were indicted on charges of investment fraud and grand theft. Brown and her husband had sold securities in a gold mining venture under false pretenses. They told one couple their $20,000 investment would be used for immediate operating costs while secreting the cash away to an account for the Nirvana Foundation. The cost for their crimes was just a year of probation and some community service. Still, Brown's devotees clung to their convictions that she was mostly right, and Sylvia was just a down-to-earth mystic, likely too involved in the spiritual world to pull off an investment scam. She claimed that her husband was the mastermind and that she had been led astray by him. The couple divorced. By the 2000s, Brown had a waiting list four years long for a 30-minute reading with her over the telephone. The cost of Sylvia Brown's half hour of spiritual guidance was $700. Sylvia published some 40 books during her career. By the time she sat opposite Amanda Berry's mother in 2004, she was the de facto psychic expert of the U.S., she had a string of New York Times bestsellers, her own hypnotist training center, and had already told several other parents the fates of their missing children. In 1999, for example, Brown said that six-year-old Opal Joe Jennings, who had disappeared a month earlier, had been forced into slavery in Japan. A man was convicted of Opal's kidnapping and murder within a year after her body was found locally. In 2002, she told the parents of missing 11-year-old Sean Hornbeck that he had been kidnapped by a tall, dark-skinned Hispanic man with dreadlocks and was now deceased. There was no denying that it made for great TV. The desperate parent leaning in, hoping for a sign from the spirit world that their child was still alive or at least at peace. Sylvia, with her California tan long red nails. Brown had long since shed her mystic floaty appearance. She had a penchant for nice things, and her hands glittered with rings as she allowed them to float near her face during her contemplation. She delivers the news like a fatal blow. Your child is no longer with us. Mothers' faces disappear behind hands. Fathers tense their jaws and ask for clarification. Sylvia seems unperturbed, at ease with doling out the news. Montel Williams sits beside her, hands clasped in front of him, his brow wrinkled in concern as if trying to send off enough empathy for the both of them. After Sylvia delivered her devastating prediction to Amanda Berry's mom, the media seemed to take it as gospel. Interest in the case receded. 
The story was re-aired on a couple more episodes of America's Most Wanted, but without fresh information, it had lost its glamour. In the years that followed, Sylvia remained a divisive figure. Millions loved her and continued to pay for her advice. Millions more called her a fraud. In 2006, a woman named Holly Crewson, whom Sylvia predicted was working as an exotic dancer in Hollywood, was positively identified through dental records as a body found in 1996, just a year after she disappeared. The same year, another victim, 19-year-old Ryan Catcher, was found in his truck at the bottom of a pond. Sylvia had predicted in 2004 that the man had been murdered and his body was in a metal shaft. The 2006 Sago mine disaster revealed another faulty prediction by Brown, this one unfolding in real time. On January 3rd, Sylvia was a guest on the radio show Coast to Coast AM with Greg Norrie. At the top of the show, Greg asked Brown for her insight into the situation. At the time, it was believed that 12 of the 13 trapped miners were still alive. Brown said, I knew they were going to be found. Later, the host received word that these reports were mistaken. 12 miners were actually likely dead. Brown backpedaled on her earlier prediction, saying, quote, I don't think there's anybody alive. Maybe one. I just don't think they are alive. Before the show ended, she added again, quote, I didn't believe that they were alive. I did believe that they were gone. In 2007, Sean Hornbeck was found alive, having been kidnapped and held hostage, not by a tall Hispanic man, but a stocky Caucasian. The blunder was largely ignored by Brown's fans. And hundreds of those fans joined the psychic on a cruise the following year. The cruisers paid thousands of dollars to gain access to the psychic, who had slipped from the public eye at this point, turning down interviews and appearances. I wonder why. Investigative reporter John Ronson joined the cruise for a chance to determine Brown's credibility and glean information on what made the psychic so endearing to so many. On the first day of the cruise, Ronson writes, Brown gathered her guests for a bizarre lecture where she complained about tofu and work being done at her house before pulling names from a hat. Those whose names were drawn were permitted to ask Sylvia one question. Three people walked to the microphone after their names were called. The first woman asked why her husband decided to take his own life. He was bipolar, Sylvia snapped immediately. The next woman started to ask about her strained relationship with her daughter, but Sylvia cut her off. Your daughter is strange. Your daughter is stubborn. She's selfish and narcissistic. Leave her alone. Don't get involved with her. She'll hurt you. Leave her alone. I don't like her. The woman sobbed out a thank you. The third asked if she would ever have a better relationship with her father. Sylvia said, no, he's narcissistic. He has sociopathic tendencies. Forget it. There's a darkness there. Her insight continued this way. Blunt, no sugarcoating. Really, nothing positive. Finally, a mother whose son had died asked Sylvia about his presence. Brown told the woman he was all around her, dropping coins and calling her phone. She asked the woman, why is he holding his head? He was shot in the head, the woman responded. The audience let out a collective gasp. They were sold. The rest of the cruise continued in the same vein. Lectures where audience members were permitted to ask questions, and Brown gave them curt, short responses. 
Some evenings, all of her predictions were negative. Others, she bestowed good health and fortune on everyone. Ronson noted that many cruise-goers were dissatisfied with the words they received from Sylvia. She gave them names of relatives that didn't exist. She gave them information they've already checked and know isn't true, but they stayed quiet as if awed by her celebrity. Ronson was able to interview Brown, who told the journalist of her failed prediction of Sean Hor- Hornbeck, quote, Yeah, I believe the kid was dead. What I found out later is there were three kids missing. I think what I did was I got my wires crossed. There was a blonde and two boys who are dead. I think I picked up the wrong kid. She said she didn't remember Opal Jennings at all. Quote, no psychic can ever be 100%. That's God, she told Ronson. In 2010, the Skeptical Inquirer published a three-year study that examined Brown's predictions on missing and murdered cases. Brown had long claimed her predictions had an 85% accuracy rate, but the study showed that every single claim they were able to follow up on, which was 25 out of 115, was wrong. The rest were too vague to be substantiated. On May 6, 2013, a Cleveland 911 operator fielded a call from a frightened and frantic woman. The caller was Amanda Barry. In the weeks that followed, the truth of what happened to Amanda would be revealed. Three young girls, all kidnapped by Ariel Castro, were held at his home in Cleveland, where they were subjected to repeated sexual abuse and violence. Along with Barry and Gina de Jesus was 21-year-old Michelle Knight, abducted in 2002 on her way to a child custody hearing. In 2006, Knight helped Barry deliver a baby, a daughter that lived in the home and was taken on outings by Castro. Castro forcibly ended many other pregnancies during the three women's time in captivity. Barry escaped with her daughter when Castro left an interior door unlocked. She screamed until she attracted the attention of a neighbor who kicked a hole in the screen of the storm door and pulled her to safety. She called 911 and the police rescued the two other women. Castro was sentenced to life in prison for his crimes, but was found hanging from a bedsheet in his cell at the Correctional Reception Center just one month into his sentence. As for our psychic fraudster, Sylvia Brown suffered a heart attack in 2011, and her flow of publications and appearances tapered off, leaving her communicating mainly through social media and her website. When the news of Barry's escape surfaced, Brown leaned on her old excuse of, only God is right 100% of the time, and said that she was thankful she was mistaken in her prediction about Amanda Barry. Montel Williams issued an apology for any hurt that Brown's predictions had caused, but stood by her in solidarity. Sylvia died in November of 2013 at the age of 77, which was one final wrong prediction. She had often said that she knew she would die at the age of 88. Seven years after her death, Sylvia Brown was thrust back into the spotlight when Kim Kardashian tweeted about a prediction Brown had made in one of her books. A severe pneumonia-like illness would spread around in 2020. Sylvia's son, Chris Dufrance, carries on her work at the Sylvia Brown Corporation. Chris apparently inherited the family gift and has written seven books, two of which are bestsellers. At least his rates are slightly more affordable than his mom's. 
Chris charges $195 for a half-hour reading over Skype. The jury is still out on my personal beliefs about the validity of any kind of psychic power, but whether you believe it or not, I think we can all agree that sharing with a grieving mother that you know for certain her teenage daughter is dead on national television is despicable behavior. Survivor Amanda Berry, on the other hand, has now devoted years of her life to hosting a daily missing person segment on her local television station. All right, that'll do it for this one. Thanks for listening to this Patreon-only bonus episode. Haley and I are so thankful for your support, and we love sharing these stories with you. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Reference Desk. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash the reference desk. And if you're interested in purchasing any of the books we discussed today, visit our bookshop storefront at bookshop.org slash the reference desk pod. You can find us on Instagram at the reference desk pod. Visit our website at the reference desk or drop us an email at referencedeskpod at gmail.com. This episode was written and produced by us. Our music is Say Salavi by Eric Harper, and our cover art for the show is by Maria Amaya. Until next week, we'll see you in the stacks. Thank you for listening to The Reference Desk. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash the reference desk. And if you're interested in purchasing any of the books we discussed today, visit our bookshop storefront at bookshop.org slash the reference desk pod. You can find us on Instagram at the reference desk pod. Visit our website at the reference desk or drop us an email at referencedeskpod at gmail.com. This episode was written and produced by us. Our music is Say Salavi by Eric Harper, and our cover art for the show is by Maria Amaya. Until next week, we'll see you in the stacks.